You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're coming to you a day early this week because... There's simply too much news for us to get to to wait any longer to sit down and record this thing and some hefty topics to touch upon in this episode. So we're bringing on our buddy Mark Brennan to help with some of that heavy lifting. So you've got myself, Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz and Mark Brennan all with you throughout the episode today. And we have a revised Penn State 2020 football schedule produced by the Big Ten. Every Big Ten program now knows what is laid out in front of them this fall and what is laid out in front of them for this month? Practice here at Penn State scheduled to get underway later this week, if you can believe it. The first game now, less than a month on the calendar before when we're supposed to supposed to see the Nittany Lions uh, play football here in 2020. We'll get into all that in just a moment, but we start with news on the roster and the most notable player on the Penn State roster here in 2020, Micah Parsons, All-American two seasons at Penn State. Turns out those are going to be the two seasons that we get to see him in a Nittany Lions uniform. Uh, First reported Tuesday night by Yahoo Sports, later confirmed Tuesday evening by Lions 24-7. Micah Parsons is opting out of the 2020 football season. Uh, This decision has not yet been made public by Parsons himself. That may happen by the time you hear this podcast. It may not, but uh, multiple sources confirming to Lions 24-7 Sports uh, and 24-7 Sports. That is the uh, ultimate outcome upcoming. And I'll, sh- I'll turn it over uh, first to, to you, Mark, because uh, when this Parsons news was, was surfacing Tuesday, you and I were quickly in communication, uh, got Sean looped in a little bit later, but... Uh, this is something that popped up. Fortunately, um, I, I love having you guys as teammates because we were able to come up with some uh, some answers pretty quickly on this thing, get a story up. And it's a story like so many others that we've written in 2020 that you look at the headline and you think, if I showed myself this headline back in February, what would I possibly try to comprehend on the situation? Yeah, you know, I think big picture wise, Tyler, if you look at it, it's really not all that surprising. I mean, knowing what this kid stands to potentially lose and understanding that he has a little boy. I mean, I think, you know, what, less than two years old at this point. Um, The thing that's that I guess um, I was wondering, you know, this is one of the more competitive guys that, that we've seen. I mean, we've seen him at camps you know, competing as a receiver. We've seen him at camps as a DN. We've seen him at camps as a linebacker. You know, I wondered if those competitive juices might get get flowing, but uh, don't think it was surprising that it happened kind of the same day that Rashad Bateman made his announcement. Uh, from Micah Parsons' perspective, you're looking at a top 10 draft pick. And how much money is involved there? Um, it's just, it's just so much money that I completely get where he's coming from. But the one thing that, again, that, that I was, um, that, that made me wonder a little bit if he would, if he would play through the season is that competitive streak, because we know what, what that guy's all about. I mean, obviously, obviously now, uh, we're not going to get him, see, see him return kicks. We're not going to get him to see him, you know, playing any offense at all. Uh, I think those things all would have been fun, but Obviously, he has to look out for his best interest and his family, family's best interest. And, you know, I would hope that people understand that. I mean, I think some people, uh, some fans were, were a little bit upset and maybe expressed themselves, in my view, not quite the right way. But I don't think you could ever argue with somebody looking out for their own best interest and their family's best interests. Sean, it was just last week that you and I were, were asked the question in our mailbag, if the season has moved to the spring should we count on seeing Micah Parsons and Pat Fryermuth? And you and I both came down pretty pretty certain that we would not see Micah Parsons in that circumstance. And at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was wondering, are we going to see him in a fall football circumstance? Uh, you know, we still don't know if the football season will take off. We got another month to see where the directions take us. You've got uh, multiple programs within the Big Ten right now that have had to pause their preseason plan because of COVID-19 outbreak. Um, there's so much uncertainty, and you think the one certain thing that Micah Parsons has is his draft stock. Um, Sean, I have to imagine that, although we're all bummed not to get year three of covering Micah Parsons, 
we also uh, don't necessarily get to this point with 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 uh, without anticipating at least this was this was going to happen. Maybe. Well, well, first off, I have to thank you for uh, letting me off the hook because yes, I was in bed <laughs> at ten o'clock the other night. Uh, I am. Bad. I was almost the, there too. <laughs> I'm the dad, so I was out of it, and I woke up at about one and looked at my phone and just was like, "What? What is going on?" And <laughs> you guys were still up working, so I appreciate you guys being on that for me. But no, I mean, it's really not uh, not a big surprise here when you take a look at what's going on. And I think you're going to continue to see a steady stream of these top college football players. Uh, Rashad Bateman the other day from Minnesota sort of opened the doors. Uh, Caleb Farley from from uh, Virginia Tech did it last week. But I mean, I think it's just going to continue to go in that direction. Micah, to me, was an obvious candidate for this. I mean, you look at his draft status, he's pretty much solidified himself as a top 10 prospect at the same time. He's a linebacker. So I don't think he's going to climb, you know, to the number two or number three pick. So, you know, his, he wasn't really going very far in that draft, regardless of whether or not he played this year. So it's not a surprise from that aspect of it. I I think it's always kind of shocking when you see something that big, you know, especially when, you know, we, we cover this team locally, when you see something that we've seen develop over the last couple of years, just sort of come to a halt. I mean, that's a bit shocking there. But, I mean, when you take a look at the situation, when you take a look at what's going on in the college football universe, it's, it's really not a big surprise. And, and it's unfortunate. I mean, you, you certainly as a fan, I think you, you have a right to be disappointed that you won't get to see Micah Parsons in this third year and in a year that, you know, he could have used as a development, uh, developmental tool for, for his future, used that time to improve as a linebacker, which we mentioned he still has work to do in that, in that uh, area, but still. I mean, you can feel disappointed, but I don't think you can be mad at him for, for taking the best or taking this situation and trying to make the best for himself and his family. I think it's the, you know, it goes back. It's the time for him to be selfish. And that's, that's exactly what he, he should be doing. And on, on Wednesday, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday, news services that, you know, two All-American caliber players for two teams picked to contend for the Big Ten this year, Penn State, Minnesota, lose marquee players. Uh, you know, guys who, uh, it's, it's not based on promise and potential, it's based on what they've already accomplished on the football field and what you were looking to see for them in their next steps. Rashad Bateman uh, looking like one of the top wide receivers on the 2021 draft board. And of course, as Mark and, and Sean just said, and we've discussed a lot in the show, Micah Parsons and a lot of these early projections, mock drafts, you're looking at him as the, the first linebacker off the board, certainly, and in many cases, the first defensive talent off the board. We'll find out how things are affected if other football players go out and actually play football this year, or if, if basically we just shut up shop here as, as a country with football this fall and draft draft gurus and draft scouts are going to have a lot of question marks on how they're going to work off their board and put things together. Uh, but well, I'll tell you what, Sean and Mark, you know, as we kind of digest this, and I won't say it's fully digested, the news we got, although there was some anticipation about maybe this happening, Micah Parsons played six, uh, played in, in 26 Penn State games for his career, started 13 of those games, 12 starts as a sophomore, one uh, on the road at Rutgers, his first start back in 2018, 192 tackles, 19 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, six forced fumbles. He was a freshman All-American in 2018. He was a consensus All-American in 2019. He was the first sophomore to win Big Ten Linebacker of the Year, and he was a Buckus Award semifinalist, probably the heavy favorite to take home the Buckus Award, which goes to college football's top linebacker this year. And oh, by the way, this would have been year three of him focusing in on the position full-time. Fellas, I know fans are left wanting more, but all that recruiting hype that I walked into when I joined this beat in 2017, and and Sean, you were covering his recruitment years in advance of that, and Mark, you were hearing all about this kid for a long time. He lived up to it. The hype was real. He showed that over the course of two years. His overall legacy impacted, I, I, I certainly think, by not having a third year and not having a chance to go out and lead maybe a college football playoff push, which is what we were all anticipating would happen this year before things got derailed. But I'll tell you what, uh, you look at what he did as a sophomore and that final appearance in, uh, in the Cotton Bowl, we were all there sitting there. Um, man, he, he made his mark. But uh, unfortunately, uh, an abbreviated version of what we thought we might see from Parsons at Penn State. Yeah, that, that's the, the crazy thing to me is that I don't think we saw him at his best until that Cotton Bowl. And that's not to diminish anything that he did. I thought it was simply amazing. Uh, the way that he was able to play. I, I kind of get a kick out of the people who complain about him not starting more as a true freshman uh, because, you know, I think you look at the way Brent Pry handled that 
and there was so many factors involved there. You know, he had to learn the position. Uh, he had to not think he had to make every single play. He had to become a leader. And I think all of that you saw, you know, I saw it years ago with LeVar Arrington. They did the same thing with LeVar. You know, fortunately for, for those of us in the media and fans, we got to see a third year out of LeVar, which we're not going to get to see uh, out of Micah Parsons. But the fact that he uh, just kept getting better and better, and, and that's the disappointing part to me. Yes, I understand him wanting to be, you know, take care of himself and his family. But from a selfish perspective, I would have loved to see where he was able to take his game in this third full year playing the position under Brent Pry. Uh, I just, you know, to, to me, listen, I, I don't know what the value is that NFL teams put on linebackers at this point. Clearly, I don't think it's the same as some other positions. But as a true blue, true green Eagles fan, I would love to see the <laughs> Eagles pick up uh, this guy because I think he is going to be a star in the NFL. I they really might need a bad year. They might they might need a tank yeah, job. They're never gonna, I don't think you. they're going to be that bad. But I mean, it's he's that kind of player. And the other the other cool thing about Micah, dynamic personality. You know that was very much like Lavar too. He took Lavar. He wore Lavar's number eleven. You just don't do that as a true freshman. And you know what? He lived up to it. And, uh, you know, the, the ability to interview him and interact with him at media days and stuff, all of that was fun. Sean knows and you know from, from dealing with him at camps and stuff. Uh, dynamic personality, super smart kid, uh, very fun to cover. From a selfish perspective, those are the things I'm going to miss. And I agree with Mark here in terms of uh, it, it, what stinks here is for Penn State, and you got to be disappointed if you're a Penn State coach because the execution – was absolutely there. Of course, they eased him in, split the time with Koa Farmer, uh, you know, kind of built him up into a linebacker. And you're right, he hadn't peaked until that Cotton Bowl. And we still saw just glimpses of what he could do. And, and really, you know, in, the, in, in college football, it's not like college basketball where you're not sure if you're going to have a guy for one year or for four years or something like that. You know you have him for three years. Here's your three Here's a year that you're not going to get to get to have him and not get to watch him and not get to use him. I mean, to me, this was kind of going to be his LeVar year where you could set him loose and rush the passer and put him in different positions and do all kinds of things because he was so good. Best player in college or best defensive player in college football. Obviously, that's going to be a, quite a loss for Penn State. But I mean, just they did everything right that, you know, when you think back to his recruitment, all the, you know, the, the seemingly uh, red flags that went up and everything like that, um, they, they handled him well. They kept him, you know, a, away from the trouble and everything like that. And, you know, they were set to be rewarded for it this fall. And now all of a sudden it just kind of falls apart. And it's and it's interesting when you look at him, you look at K.J. Hamler, who obviously different circumstances, but you only get two years out of him. I mean, it's just some bad breaks for the Penn State staff when you talk about your top players, just limited shelf life. But by no means of the, I mean, nothing that they did. You know, you had the ACL injury for for Hamler as a as a senior in high school. You have this pandemic that blows through and takes away Michael Parsons' year. Just kind of sucks if you're Penn State. Now, when I pivot here, I'm curious what the legacy for Micah Parsons is going to be because, as you mentioned, I mean, those numbers are great. He was an All American. I, I think covering the team week in and week out kind of surprised he was a consensus All-American because he's a great player, no no doubt about it. But when you think consensus All-American, you think this guy is standing out every time, just the best player on the field every time he goes out there. We obviously saw Saquon a couple of years ago, and Saquon, to me, just was kind of more transcendent when you talk about dominating on the football field. So I'm curious what his legacy is going to be. I think he is one of the all-time greats at Penn State, but without that third year, I mean, where do you place him? I mean, certainly – the the linebackers that I've seen coming through here, uh, Mark, you've been covering and following the team a lot longer than I have, but the, the linebackers that I've seen when you've got your Paul Puzlesny winning a couple of national awards, Navarro Bowman was, uh, you know, just incredible. I, I'm curious where Micah fits into this, this whole talk, because, you know, without getting that third year, you're missing the, the peak of his career. And you're talking about guys that, you know, maybe one year wonders like an Aaron Maben or something like that, where you've got, you know, do you put him in that category? Do you put him in all time great category? It's, it's very difficult to sort of cement the legacy without that third year. Yeah, I think you have to do it for more than one year, you know, and uh, you, you look at, to, to me, the greatest Penn State linebacker of all time was Shane Conlon. You know, he, he, to me, was the best player on the field in two national championship games against uh, Oklahoma, with a game they lost, but he was sensational. And obviously the Fiesta Bowl against Miami. 
And you look at LeVar, the way he played, Jack Ham, obviously, all the guys that, that, that you mentioned. Uh, when you do it for multiple years, I think you've really proven something. I feel bad for Micah that he's probably feel, feeling a little bit forced, like he has to make this decision. And again, completely understandable. Uh, but I don't know that you'll be able to hold him up to that level, at least in my view. I mean, other people may. Uh, but in my view, I don't think you could hold him up to that level because he hasn't done it for, for multiple years. When, when I look at uh, Micah Parsons here, and, and you know, I think when you talk about legacy and you guys have a much longer um, you know, understanding of the history of, of LBU and, and guys seeing them play in real time during their college careers rather than me kind of looking at lists, um, you know, I think maybe something that's missing is the Cotton Bowl stands out as a virtuoso performance. I'm glad we got to see it in person. It was something special. And you just wonder if he could have gotten his hands on the football and caught it and, and took back, a, you know, a, a, for a touchdown on defense, how that would have added to the performance. But I think beyond that, 14 tackles against Michigan last year. That was, that was one of three consecutive Big Ten games in which he reached double digit tackle totals. But I think, you know, he's missing a few other defining games. And I feel like the stage was set in 2020 uh, under normal circumstances, of course, where we would have seen Micah Parsons have the opportunity to go out there and make the kind of game-changing plays, I think more so as a, as a pass rusher than we've seen in the past. I think maybe getting his hands on the football and coming up with his first career interception, perhaps, and, and doing something with the football. We know he's a playmaker with the ball in his hands, something that we've talked about a lot and written about a lot, but we had not seen on the field in a Penn State uniform to this point. Because he doesn't get that third season, I think you're kind of left. Uh, you know, we've seen you know practices on a weekly basis. We've been to every game over the course of his career. You know, folks who you know just the average Penn State fan. I think five years down the line, when you say you know what are your favorite Penn, uh, Micah Parsons games, you know the, the Cotton Bowl is going to stand out. But I think although the numbers are great, I think there's going to be a little bit of trouble coming up with signature moments. And I feel like 2020. It was just going to be all about signature moments for Micah Parsons, whether it's climbing up the Penn State leaderboard in different categories, you know, being the face of a team that's in the playoff hunt, finding his voice a bit more as a leader. It's something that's not natural to him. I thought, you know, I thought we were all set up to kind of see this new step from Micah, but his next step will come in the NFL and he'll be getting paid handsomely to do it. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think, you know, you're just going to come out of this thing and, and probably be searching a bit more for signature moments from, from a you know, guy who was a consensus All-American and the top-rated recruit uh, from James Franklin's tenure and you know, going back more than 10 years, uh, the top recruit for Penn State. So uh, you know, that's not taking anything away from Micah. He needed a third year to, to find those moments and deliver those moments. He will not have that third year, and we understand why. Uh, but I think that's also going to play a role here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, he and, also never had the opportunity to beat Ohio State. I mean, that's yep. It's a, to me, when you look at some of the better Penn State players, they've had that moment uh, where, you know, right now, whether you like it or not, as a Penn State fan, the team to beat in the Big Ten is Ohio State. I mean, there's no question about that. And knowing the kind of recruiting history and, you know, knowing the whole thing with Justin Fields, not that there was any bad blood between them, uh, but, you know, two kind of high-profile guys. Uh, I think you don't have that signature win. And I think you touched on it, Tyler, that he was really part of fueling. Um, and that's something where I think in the, in the next few years, we're going to be judging a lot of these Penn State players by what they're able to do against Ohio State. Yeah, you took my point from me. I, mean, I think that Ohio State game looms so large, and you think about the – you know, the, the guys in the last 10 years, you know, that Penn State has only been able to beat Ohio State a couple of times every once every couple of years. But we still reflect on those games and reflect on those teams and those players as, you know, they accomplished something that some of the other ones didn't. And Micah's going to be, you know, I guess lumped in that group. The first time I got to campus was the spring game 2017. And there's Micah Parsons and Justin Fields walking with the committee group. A day later, this is my introduction to the beat. I think it was a day later, maybe 48 hours later, Micah Parsons all of a sudden leaves the class and everyone's thinking he's going to Ohio State. And I was at the New Jersey Regional. I think both of you guys may have been the next week. And Micah's there and everyone wants to talk to him. And you know, that's my first conversation with Micah. And you jump right into the abyss on, on this recruiting mess. Um, you know, that, that he was looking to kind of sort through and figure out 
get to the finish line. And, and I think back to that with Micah, so much of the memories that I have are before he actually got to Penn State. And I know that even the casual Penn State fan who focuses in on the team in the fall, not so much with the recruiting stuff and the offseason stuff, even they were aware of, of Micah Parsons on the peripheral, at least during his high school recruitment. We're talking about the first freshman to get an offer from James Franklin. Um, and just to put a little perspective on how long that relationship dates back and Brent Pry involved all the way as an initial member of the Nittany Lions uh, staff with Franklin. So both of them involved since November 2014. When that offer went out, Parsons had no other scholarship offers. James Franklin was six and five at Penn State coming off a loss at Illinois. Look how much has happened since then. And these guys, have, you know, they're always going to be attached. James Franklin, you know, joked on signing day of 2017, that December, 20 chapters of his, of his uh, work as a coach, 15 of them are going to be about that Micah Parsons roller coaster recruitment. And Micah, you know, it was great to hear him last year once we got a chance to, to get with him as media members again because he had so much self-reflection on the recruitment process. And you could kind of tell he was looking at it after coming out the other side and saying, there were certainly some bizarre moments there, and 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 Sean and I covered his All America event where he put on that uh, you know the Army All American jersey and didn't want to do much else in terms of talking to us about Penn State and Ohio State and and and, and other programs. So um, for as much as that recruiting process you know took exhaustive effort from the Penn State staff to to them getting through two years where you know I know a lot of people it's always going to point to Koa Farmer playing over Micah, but I think you, you look at the trajectory that Penn State had him on through two years. That's completely ideal, and, and I, 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 you couldn't have written it up much better in terms of where Micah Parsons was halfway through his collegiate eligibility and one year away from probably being an early entrance into the NFL draft. So for the work that was put in by Brent Pry, by James Franklin, by the Parsons family to make this all work at the end of the day and get to that point, I think that adds to the sting here. Um, whether it's a Penn State fan or folks like us who have invested significant words and, 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 and conversations into to covering Micah over these years, you know, it's just, it's a strange way to see this all come to a, a crashing halt. Well, just imagine if we covered Kentucky basketball. I mean, this, we would be doing this every single year. So, uh, you know, at least we, at least we got to cover him for two years. You know, the other thing I would say that if, if they were, if they're losing, a, if they were going to lose a player of this magnitude, uh, I think they're fairly well equipped to handle it. And that's not saying you it's it's not going to make a, a big impact. But I think when you look at guys like Jesse Lucetta and Ellis Brooks, uh, veteran players, strong leadership type guys, again, I'm not suggesting either guy is in Micah's kind of level, but I think as we look at this roster, there are some other positions where if they had lost a player of this caliber, it really could have been devastating. And this will definitely hurt. There's no doubt about it. But I think you look at those two veterans. I think this puts a spotlight on them. Everybody wants to talk about Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon and the young talent, and that's great. But I think all of a sudden now, and we've had the opportunity to talk to these guys on Zoom calls, and you know both guys really carry themselves, uh, Brooks and Lucetta, uh, as, as strong, strong leadership type guys. And I think that's going to be very important at this point when you're losing a player of that magnitude. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I agree with the linebacker. You, you're losing your game record, though. And that's just yeah. in this game, when you're trying to keep up with Ohio State that has more of those than you do, that's a problem. And, that, and that's no disrespect to Jesse Lucetta or Charlie Catcher, whoever there's going to end up at that will spot. And right now, I, I would think it's Lucetta. I mean, it's just uh, that's so much to take on when you're when you're those guys, when you've got that ceiling on your game. I mean, it's just uh, it, Micah was a special player, the best play, best defensive player on your team in college football in the Big Ten, whatever. You take him out of the equation and, you know, you're, you're looking at a lot lower ceiling. And, you know, I'm excited to see what they can do with Brandon Smith. It's kind of a different position, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Brooks and Lucetta now to, to get that done. By the way, Brooks and Lucetta, roommates with Micah Parsons uh, here in 2020. So an uh, interesting note there. I think certainly something they're going to take pretty personal um, in terms of trying to carry that linebacker room forward. And you, you guys talked about this uh, just a bit ago with Lucetta and, and, and Ellis Brooks being kind of emerging leaders. And, and Lucetta kind of stepped in as a leader. He was a 2018 class leader. Micah Parsons, for everything he does for you on the field and, and 
uh, you know, everything we hear in terms of showing up to the locker room and, 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 and the weight room and doing everything as a football player seems great. But the leadership thing, it doesn't come naturally to him. He said this uh, uh, about a month and a half ago when we had him on a Zoom call. You know, that's something that he was really going to have to step outside his comfort zone, take on a more vocal leadership role. So I think from a locker room perspective, you lose your game wrecker. You lose the guy who everyone is going to pick first uh, if, you, if you put the whole roster out there like we did in our draft, Sean. He's the number one guy off the board. But I think it's important to note here, I don't think you lose a – an identity. I don't think you lose your cultural identity as a football program because Micah Parsons isn't part of the process moving forward. That's just the vibe I get from it. And, and I mean that just from uh, like, you know, straight up the guys who are going to be keeping this thing together, the, the glue guys from a leadership position. I don't know if Micah Parsons is going to be a team captain. He seems to check a lot off those boxes. But again, it's just not something that he steps on campus in 2018 uh, with that kind of mindset, I'm going to get to to a captain role. You know, I think it's more of his accomplishments on the field kind of push you towards thinking he might get in that spot. And, and I agree with you there on terms of not going to lose your identity or everything. But when you take Parsons out of it, and, and to me, this season was going to be a lot of, you know, two linebacker sets where you had Parsons on one side, Brandon Smith on the other. That's a lot of ground that you can cover. Now, all of a sudden, Luketta's there. Luketta doesn't cover ground like uh, like Micah Parsons does, and you know you're going to have to shift. You're going to have to figure out. You know, do you have a you know do you do you swing Brandon Smith over to that wheel spot and bring in another guy at the Sam to give yourself a little bit more uh, you know roaming area and and speed and you know just be able to play in space. And that's that's a very difficult thing to do because if you do that, you're bringing in a guy like Lance Dixon who hasn't played any football, and you know maybe a Curtis Jacobs steps up or something like that, but. I mean, you just have so many questions. Charlie Catcher has played both spots. Um, so, you know, he could do it. Just curious what he's done because, you know, or what he could do because of what he's done to this point. I mean, he hasn't asked to, been do, asked to do anything. He had the backup job for Micah Parsons. That's a pretty good spot to be, you know, in terms of uh, what, uh, you know, what, what's expected of you. So I'm just curious which direction they're going to go from that. And I think, you know, as Brent Pry is going to lose a lot of versatility in his calls, he's going to lose a guy that you can – throw on the edge there if you need to go after the quarterback and just go out and make your plays and you know without him that's that's a scary situation here's a question for both of you and and maybe maybe not something that anybody can answer directly right now who's the best player on the 2020 Penn State defense now hmm. I, I would I would <laughs> I mean I would say Shaka Tony I mean you just look at what he's been able to do production wise and like I said the film is better than the, than the stat line shows so He's probably it. I mean, it, Lamont Wade came out at the end of the year last year. Corners are, you know, lumped together for fairly, you know, for, I mean, for, for lack of a better term, nobody really stands out at that position. You would think Castro Fields does. But, I mean, I would probably go with Shaka Tony. And after that, there's there's some unknowns there because, you know, you've got the other side, a defensive end, you've got Away, who's unproven, Adisa Isaac, who's coming along but unproven. In the middle, Shelton's solid, but Mustaver could be the star, but, again, unproven. So, you know, there, to me, there was a big gap there. And by the way, I'm very excited about Jaquan Brisker back at safety, but again, unproven, not ready to uh, to throw him in the mix either. So I, I, I think there was a big gap between Mike and everybody. Now, let's be honest, Micah, the talent that he was, there was going to be a gap between him and every other team in the country uh, defensively. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to sort of brand the leader, brand the top guy on that defense without him in there. Yeah, I, you know, the one guy that I'm anxious to see is Castro Fields to see if he was really limited as much by injury as we we've been led to believe, um, you know, and not there, I have no reason to disbelieve the coaching staff uh, over that. But, it, you know, I think this all of a sudden for a lot of these players, you know, not just the linebackers, but a guy like Castro Fields, who's been around, you know, now all of a sudden he's got to step it up. And, you know, a guy like Jason OA, all we've heard about is, you know, upside, 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 upside. Well, listen, you know, now they need him to, to start to produce, you know, Disa Isaac, um, Shaka Tony, though, I, I would I would obviously go with you, Sean, and say, as I look at it now, you know, clearly the best player on the defense. It's, it's a tough question. And I knew it was going to be, um, but, but I, you know, it's going to look a lot different. I think what that what that topic stirs in your head in August versus Tyler, October. Tyler, Tyler, you can say Jason away. It's OK. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's going to hold you to it. Well, I was actually going to say I think there, there's so many breakout candidates on the defense that the answer is is almost certainly going to be different in October if we get to see football than it is right now. But you know, the guy that I keep coming back to, and 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 I'm probably probably a couple of steps ahead of where I should be on him. 
I just really want to get on that PJ Mustafer bandwagon in terms of what he can do on the defensive interior and 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 maybe develop some pass rush inside. He's someone that I continue to to kind of circle back to. But um, yeah, Jason away. Who knows what happened? <laughs> I do think those linebackers, though. I mean, look, Mark said it. If you're going to lose a, an elite level generational kind of talent, that's a good position to lose it. If you're Penn State right now, because they've got bunch of former four stars and five stars, a bunch of young former five stars and Curtis Jacobs and Lance Dixon and Brandon Smith. That's uh, you, you add them all up. That's 11 years of collegiate eligibility among those three five-star players moving ahead. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot. We're going to talk a lot about Micah Parsons and we'll write a lot about Micah Parsons still up on the site. Remember still waiting for official word from him, maybe hopefully some train of thought on, on, on why he made this decision and why he made it now. Uh, but moving ahead, uh, that seems to be the plan right now. And by the way, before we leave this conversation and jump over to the schedule, Pat Fryermuth is the next name up on everybody's mind because he has often been uh, placed with Parsons in first-round NFL mock draft uh, projections. Remember, had a chance to leave after his sophomore year because of the extra year at the prep level, decided to stick around. He's a preseason All-American. And, Sean, you, you wrote it up, and I thought you eloquently wrote, uh, wrote up the uh, the uh, Bill Murray. Uh, we won't get enough Bill Murray uh, on this conversation. So I'll, I'll let you kind of explain the, the Pat Fryermuth decision, indication. I don't know how we're phrasing this. Yeah, just from checking with people, there was some sort of mounting pressure. When you talk about the, uh, you know this flood that we're expecting to see of guys opting out, it's also going to you know affect those guys that – you know, never really thought about it or never were going to. But at the same time, that's a lot of pressure. A lot of people, you know, filling their DMs and everything like that. So I think he wanted to get ahead of it. And he did so via Ghostbusters. What's the way I would go? I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't understand why more people don't re- respond in that way. But, uh, you know, it reminded me of the Tommy Stevens, I'm staying thing, which, you know, has kind of gone in a different direction since then. So hopefully he doesn't delete this a year from now or a couple of months from now. And we'll have to panic over that. But yeah, just getting Pat Fryermuth back. I mean, just, uh, and, and all indications are that he's going to follow through on that and whatever, but, uh, yeah, just getting him back is such a big deal for Penn state. You know, there is a schedule now, so we will we'll cover that after the, uh, after the break, but, uh, just getting him into the mix, the, the focal point of your, uh, of your passing game, a guy that's been there that you can turn to in the red zone or, you know, anywhere on the football field, to be honest with you, when you have a tight end, that's so versatile, that's so reliable. And I think that's the biggest thing. His reliability is just off the charts when you talk about what he's been able to do over two years. And like I said on the podcast, when we talked about it last week about would Parsons opt out? And I was absolutely yes. Would Fryermuth? Eh, I don't know about that. He's already passed up that opportunity to go to the draft and, you know, really not much is going to change between here and next spring for him. He'll be one of the first tight ends off the board, but I don't think he's going to, you know, jump from, you know, uh, by, by sitting out, he could have cost himself. I, I think that's probably a better way to put it. Yeah, I think the other thing with Fryermuth is from the beginning, I you know he said something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, that you know he didn't want to move out on his own yet. I mean, he wanted to be kind of still part of the whole college experience. And from the little bit we've been able to see, just of guys you know going into workouts and and whatever, uh, you know, he's been around a lot more than Micah was, and um, I just think he's it's kind of what he wants to do. Um, so obviously I think when you talk about captains, I'm not sure when they're going to announce those, but I would not be at all surprised if he's, uh, you know, one of those captains and uh, a big part of what this team does moving forward. I think you can lock that one in, Mark. If, if he's on this roster, he's a team yeah. captain. He was he was selected one as a true sophomore. That very rarely ever happens for, for most programs, and I think that that's, that is a big deal for him. He may be, if you, if you told the Penn State roster, you can pick one captain, he, he may be the guy who gets the most votes out of that whole thing. As much as I said, maybe Micah's departure doesn't kill your locker room vibes as much as it kind of kills what you may want to do defensively. And, and from a schematic standpoint, you lose a Pat Fryermuth from the equation with what they've already dealt with as an offensive coaching staff and that transition, trying to build that trust and bond. I feel like if you took this piece away from Penn State, you're talking about a, a slippery slope. And by the way, before we do leave this conversation, Justin Fields is still the quarterback at Ohio State. Trevor Lawrence is still the quarterback at Clemson. We're still waiting for these things to shake out. We got Bateman off the board, Parsons off the board for Big Ten play in 2020, two big-time players. But if Justin Fields stick around at Ohio State, that, I mean, that, that's going to be, I think, that's going to be really difficult. And it's not going to be fair to Parsons because it shouldn't be correlated in any ways. But I imagine Penn State fans would have a difficult time 
swallowing the reality in which Justin Fields, the projected top two or three pick in the draft, is coming into Beaver Stadium in an Ohio State uniform and, and Micah Parsons isn't present for the game. Oh, it's insane to think about it. And, and we do this thing every year when we talk about schools that are able to get guys to come back from, you know, just in a regular situation to come back for their junior seasons, their senior seasons, uh, you know, just top level players that project as first round picks. And, you know, not everybody's a first round pick. Not as many people are first round picks as they think they are. But Mike is clearly a first round pick. Justin Fields, clearly a first round pick. Trevor Lawrence, clearly, you know, a top five pick for both of those quarterbacks. So, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty tough one to swallow every year for Penn State fans. And now this time it's a special circumstance. It's absolutely a circumstance that, you know, I, I don't know how you deal with it, but it, it once again rears its ugly head at Penn State. And that's just so much bad luck. I mean, it's just crazy. Well, F- Fields on the record with media this week after being named an Ohio State team captain saying, uh, essentially saying, oh, I hadn't really necessarily thought about it that much yet about entering the draft, which believe that one if you want to. I think we still have a long way to go and a lot more names to learn of guys who are going to be opting out of this season. And then the longer we go without a consistency and the more every day brings twists and turns inside the conference, beyond the conference, I think you're going to see more kids tiptoe towards that line and say, you know what? This is a fun experiment for college football. Not my not my circus anymore. I'm pulling the plug. I'm getting ready for the NFL, uh, and I think that's that's what you're going to see more of. Um, unless things get, unless the ship gets righted here, uh, and all of a sudden we're we're on cruise control towards a, a full football schedule, and, and we can truly kind of feel confident in that. Well, at this point, I'm opting in. I'm all in regardless. So whatever they do, I'll be there to cover it. <laughs> thank goodness. Thank goodness. And, and we'll get into that. We do have at least a uh, an indication of what we might be able to cover this fall. We've been waiting for about four weeks to see what the revised schedule would look like. We'll get a chance to dive into that in just a moment. Who is Penn State playing? When are they playing? And how are things just a little bit different than normal? We'll get into that conversation right around the corner. Stay with us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Moving on from Micah Parsons, we now discuss Penn State's new 2020 schedule. About a month ago, we wiped uh, off the old one, and and that included three out-of-conference games, San Jose State, Kent State, Virginia Tech, as the Big Ten announced it would be going conference only for 2020. They were the first Power Five conference to make that move. We've seen a lot of movement across the uh, the country since then, and, and different uh, different approaches adopted. But they're staying within the conference, adding a tenth game for each team. And Penn State schedule is out, guys. Uh, th- this this one was a little bit later than expected, but we got it on Wednesday. Um, and very quickly going over it for our listeners, and we'll, we'll jump into the conversation. Northwestern remains their earliest opponent, but that's now bumped up to September 5th, which is when they were supposed to play Kent State. Again, less than a month away from now, Penn State supposed to be playing Northwestern in the Big Ten opener in Beaver Stadium. They then travel to Indiana, followed by another road trip at Michigan on September 19th. So those, those road trips are already expected, just now get bumped up. Back home September 26th against Michigan State. On the road at Rutgers, October 3rd, and boy, does that game seem uh, dicey right now for where Rutgers is. They have a bye week in place October 10th, then back-to-back home games, Maryland, Iowa, and then they hit the road again, Halloween at Nebraska, home again the first Saturday of November versus Ohio State. So that's a matchup that gets pushed further into the season, followed by a second bye week November 14th a road trip to Illinois on November 21st, which is your addition to the schedule. It's a crossover game uh, to the west side of the Big Ten Conference. And then no game on Thanksgiving weekend. That's typically when we would see Penn State wrap up the regular season on that Saturday. 
no game on the books. And, and I want to, before we get, jump into it, you see these open spots, they don't just mean for rest. We're, we're talking about maybe being, putting together a puzzle here with the season and moving a piece from earlier in the season to later in the season. That's more where these bye weeks fit in. Yeah, and, I think I, I'm sorry, Sean. Go ahead. No, I, and I mean, I think we want to preface this with we're going to approach it as if there is a season. I mean, I, this is obviously the schedule's been released. That's a step, but it doesn't mean there's going to be football. And the, you know, it's it's really interesting to look at this as a whole because you mentioned those bye weeks. That second bye week seems kind of worthless to me. I mean, you see after the Ohio State game, before the Illinois game, but it could very well, you know, end up being a game or or, or a makeup game or something of that nature. So. I think it's it's an interesting schedule because you've got a couple of, for lack of a better term, pods here. I mean, you open with Northwestern, but then you go on a two-game stretch at Indiana and at Michigan, where at Indiana, we've been talking about that game for a long time. because I think Indiana's going to be a good football team. You're you know, breaking in a new offense. You're trying to figure out your defense without Micah Parsons. I mean, that's going to be a, a game where they're, you know, on paper, should be a lot of points. And that's going to be a, a very interesting toss-up. Um, I mean, you, you kind of catch Indiana at a different time than you would catch them typically. Cause you usually face them in October right around Halloween. I think it was when it was scheduled. Um, you know, it's it, you usually playing a beat up Indiana team and you're beat up yourself. So it's an interesting game. So moving that to the front of the schedule is, is really one thing that jumps out to me uh, just when looking at this in the first place. I think you have to give the big 10 a lot of credit because you know, some of the other conferences have started are, are starting much later, but I think they really took their time on this. And as maddening as that was, waiting to kind of report it, and I'm sure for fans trying to see what the schedule might be, you know, building in these buys and the flexibility to move games around, I think is is imperative if they hope to pull something off. Uh, Sean, that Indiana game, I'll, I'll tell you, Penn State has rarely, rarely played well out there, even in games where it has won. You know, it has been a dogfight. And to have to follow that up with Michigan. So now all of a sudden you're looking at two of your first three games are on the road at places that aren't really easy to play. And that's really going to set a tone uh, for the season. You know, as previously you were looking at Kent State, at Virginia Tech, and San Jose State, obviously the non-conference games that are off the schedule now. And nobody's saying that they would have breezed through Virginia Tech but I think you're looking at a much different animal now uh, with these three teams to start the season than you were with that non-conference schedule, obviously. And we're about to find out, you know, what this coaching staff is about in terms of being ready to play this early in the season against this, this many quality opponents one after another. I will say, when looking at this schedule, uh, it, you look at these games and you just think about the whole process so much more than, than ever before. You think about when you see at Indiana September 12th, I'm thinking about all the protocols that are going to be required to get to Bloomington and get back and be able to play another game the next Saturday. It's never anything that crossed my mind before. I mean, Mark, you're always there for hotel arrivals, so, you, so you're probably more <laughs> plugged in for the logistics than any of us, but... I mean, this is just on a whole different deal. And then you're hoping that the team you're visiting or the team that's visiting you doesn't have any flare-ups that, that pop up in the, in the coming days. And it's just remarkable to, to kind of you know, look at, at these games in October and November. And now we're talking about Ohio State being pushed back a couple of weeks into the, that first Saturday of November. And you're thinking, man, if they are playing Ohio State the first Saturday of November, that that's going to be great because that means there's still football through two months of this process. And, uh, but man, it, 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 it feels to me, it just, uh, just very speculative rather than a, than a full concrete schedule, because I do anticipate we're going to see some movement uh, with different, uh, you know, with different teams needing to push pause or needing to move games. And, um, you know, if that doesn't impact Penn state, great, but I have a hard time imagining it's not going to impact one of these 10 teams on Penn State's schedule, and, and I, would, I know it sucks to talk about all of this stuff. I'd love to be breaking down the football matchups here, but, I mean, that that, that really is the, the the looming rain cloud here is, is for all of us and trying to figure out how you get through games one, two, three to get to game four and how do you get through games five, six to get to game seven. That was never anything on the radar for us. It was just like, you know, you take everything for granted and, and now you can take nothing for granted. I'll never take Kent State for granted again. I can <laughs> I can tell you that. So no, and it's interesting because we mentioned uh, Indiana before, but week one, I mean, they, they come out of the gate with Wisconsin on a Friday night and that's on the road. So 
I mean, maybe Wisconsin does you a favor, you know, does their ground and pound game. And, and maybe Indiana is looking like October Indiana by that point. Then they get Illinois and Ohio State. So that's it. I mean, Indiana for a team that I think is going to be pretty good coming out of the gate with Wisconsin, Penn State, Illinois, and at Ohio State, that's a, that's a pretty tough way to go. The state of Indiana didn't really fare well because Purdue's got Michigan, Iowa, Ohio State, and Illinois to start. And then Minnesota's, uh, you know, kind of got that Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin start. So uh, Penn State, I think, fared fairly well. And I, and I agree with Mark. I think the Big Ten did a terrific job here. And, and really, it's making the best of a bad situation. Obviously, it might not come to fruition, but I think you know, pretty good, you know, all around here, pretty good uh, sort of uh, way to make it work. And that's pretty much what we're doing right now with everything. So why not with college football scheduling? Yeah, Tyler, touching on the travel aspect of it, uh, I'm not sure how every other team does it, but I think Penn State's fairly well set up to be able to handle this. I mean, remember, they travel via charter plane. So they'll take buses from Lash Building uh, out to the charter hangar at the at the airport and go through at the state college airport university park airport and go through security there it's a special security thing set up just for them and having seen them arrive at hotels i mean they they basically there are buses that go right on to the tarmac i believe and pick them up from the plane now this is before the pandemic and take them straight to the hotels and then they fi- file into the hotel so they were kind of hermetically sealed already. Now, obviously, they're going to have to take more extensive steps. And now all of a sudden you're requiring on, you're or you're uh, depending on the bus company on the road, the hotel on the road, all those people to make sure that they're handling all the safety stuff properly. And then when you get to the stadium, but I think the way Penn State had done it previously, they're pretty well set up to be able to handle these road things. Not saying it's going to be easy, but from a flight standpoint, it's not like they're flying commercial. I mean, this they're they're they they already were in a situation where they, if they had to do this, I think they were in a good position to have to do it to to to, to move ahead and, and handle it. I'm curious if they start traveling the day of games. You know, I, I think you'll yeah. see that across college football when you're talking about the budgetary constraints of of this new era mm-hmm. that we're in. You see if they'll be flying out in the morning, maybe moving games later. Um, they already fly back right after the game. I mean, it's not like they're in in town uh, Friday, stay the night, then go play the game Saturday, come back to the hotel, and then head out Sunday. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how much they change. And this is just across college football. It's hard to say with Penn State, but you know, you mentioned they've got the University Park Airport. Uh, every school, I'm pretty sure every school in the Big Ten is within you know spitting distance of an airport as well that you can bring in a you know a private charter for or something like that. So I um, mean, you would think if State College has one. Most most places will have one, so I, I think that you know you have opportunities to sort of change your 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 approach. And like I said, does that impact uh, game start times? How does this change stuff with TV? And, and there's a lot that goes into it. But but I, again, I like what the Big Ten did here. I think they've you know built in a buffer for themselves to make it work. And not everything's going to be perfect, and not everybody's going to be happy. But you know, it's a, it's another step forward. Hey, yeah. we all know what a creature of habit James Franklin is. I can only imagine how he's handling all of this. I mean, obviously, he knows that there's bigger picture perspectives in play, but the way that he sets stuff up for his day and his game days and travel and everything else, uh, boy, I, I just have to imagine that you know they'll do it and they'll do they'll do it the right way if if they're able to, uh, if it comes to it that we have games. But I just have to imagine for him and that staff who are, are so used to structure, uh, what a challenge this must be for them sort of mo- uh, mentally. We've heard from Franklin. We've heard, I mean, creatures of habit are, are across college football. Yeah. That's that They're in the business of, of, of living that way and, and taking that daily approach. We've heard, though, from guys like Franklin. I've heard it from Urban Meyer in the past where everything you're building around for 365 days out of the year is you know especially for the co- programs like Penn State who embrace the sports science aspect of it is making sure the things you're doing in March the things you're doing in August is making sure that you are hitting that crescendo on these 12 different Saturdays in the fall from a physical and mental standpoint that involves the sleep that involves what you put in your body that involves what Dwight Galt and his and his staff put you through physically and what the coaching staff does for you and how they pace their practices now you're talking about taking the team off of campus for three months, throwing them back in with uh, a, a revised workout plan, and now 
uh, this weekend, guys getting back on the field as the practice period opens up in August here across college football. And this, I mean, we are four weeks away from when the Big Ten announced it was going conference only exactly four weeks ago. Exactly four weeks from today, Illinois and Ohio State are supposed to meet in the Big Ten opener on Thursday night, September 3rd. So we're at the midpoint right now, and we're looking at Penn State and and several other programs hitting the practice field this weekend. Um, so it, it is it is here fast. It is here in a hurry. Um, and we had to wait for an answer, but now that answers are here, there is no time to waste. Yeah, and it gives Penn State a chance and all the Big Ten's teams a chance to at least get started with practice. And again, we're not sure which uh, direction this is going to go even a couple of weeks from now. So we, we got to sit back and wait. But so if they can get some work in now, I think that's something that the, the coaches wanted to get going. So, I mean, you have this period where you brought them back in July and you got them started with workouts, and then you got them into walkthroughs. And obviously the next natural step is to get them into practicing and, you know, get them back into some semblance of reality and some uh, normalcy, I guess we'll probably call it more so than reality, but uh, it's a, uh, it's a really, uh, I'm not going to call it seamless, but it's a way to, get it into uh, you know what you need to be for September, October, November, if that's really what's, what's going to end up happening. And I think there will be a stark, stark contrast between the programs who are ready to hit the football field and those who simply aren't. And we're going to see some ugly, ugly football games, some, some really rough performances, I think, uh, early on in the season. And, and the programs that put themselves in a good position over these last few months and how they've adapted and certainly in these crucial few weeks where they get to actually – put a football on the field and go hit each other a little bit uh, that that's going to be um, you know, that's going to be a major step forward for some teams uh, to put themselves in a good spot. I don't know, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, there are championships to compete for when you get to the finish line, but you've got to start the race first. And, and at least we have a starting time, by the way, 24 seven sports ranking Penn state schedule, the, 11th toughest that's a weird way to phrase that I guess you could say third easiest uh in the Big Ten um Ohio State though number 12 on that list so uh you know the 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 schedule makers add Illinois to the schedule for Penn State that's going to be their final matchup it's it's after the bye week that follows Ohio State late in the season maybe that bye week between Ohio State and Illinois is used to 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 move another game there we don't know yet Illinois by the way uh, coming off it's it's First bowl appearance since 2014. They took a nice step forward last year under Lovey Smith. See if they can keep momentum. I think there's an anticipation they're going to fall back in, in a significant way uh, here in 2020. But without looking at the games too detailed, here's what it is what it is. Rutgers has 20-plus cases right now on their locker room. They're on Penn State's schedule. Uh, they're sitting out right now. Northwestern paused their process a couple days ago because of some cases. Uh, they are on Penn State's schedule as well. And um, you, you just kind of got to keep your head in a swivel with this process and see who's going to be ready to play when September rolls around. Mark, right before we started recording this segment about the schedule, um, we got an email from Sandy Barber. You had a chance to look through that. Um, this is not going to be met well by many of our listeners, but uh, addressing the ticket situation and, and quite frankly, uh, kind of the inevitable reality of, of where things are going to be in Beaver Stadium. Yeah, I mean, as I'm reading this, and Sean, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, yeah, it looks like they're planning on not having any fans in the general seating areas of any of the fall sports. So uh, I could just read this really quickly. As of today, the current, current in uh, italics, large group gathering guidance from the governor's office limits capacity to 250 people for outside events and 25 people for inside events. Therefore, under the current conditions and current state orders, our fall sports events would be conducted without fans in the general seating areas of our facilities. We continue to work with the governor's office to discuss and possibly be prepared for the opportunity to have spectators at all fall Penn State sporting events. So, But it sounds like for now the plan is uh, to not have fans in the general seating areas. Now, how does that impact the boxes, uh, everything else? But, you know, clearly – we're, we're as things stand, we're looking at a very you know different uh, Beaver Stadium than we've really ever seen. It kind of harkens back to me for when we used to be able to cover the coaches' clinic scrimmage every spring, and would be in the press box, and there would be like literally no fans in the stadium. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a strange thing. It is, and there's a lot that goes into it. And I, honestly, 
you know, we've been talking and I've been reading while we're talking, so I probably haven't gotten the gist of it, but a lot of ticketing that goes involved in that. A couple of options. You can convert your uh, current season tickets into a tax deductible donation. You can roll your tickets over to 2021, which I think a lot of people will do. Or you can request a free refund with the catch being that if you request a free ref- or a full refund, sorry, um, then you will not be guaranteed the same seats that you have uh, currently in 2020. So there's a, certainly a catch in there. So um, again, making the best of a bad situation. They're going to look like the bad guys here, but really, what else are you going to do? I, I think they're going to continue working with uh, the governor's office and see if they can get those numbers up. And maybe, you know, this is something that we talked about a couple of months ago, starting small and working their way up. Maybe that's the goal. Maybe that's the eventual uh, landing spot for where they want to be. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, they're at the point right now where they're sort of, uh, that I think their hands are kind of tied, but at the same time, I don't know that they want to chance it all that much. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for them to, to hear that from the governor's office. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how things go with uh, some of these sports that are allowing fans, you know, NASCAR comes to mind. I think you can make an apples to apples comparison between NASCAR with big weekend events and gigantic facilities. And in some places they seem to be doing it now, how safely is that happening? I don't know that we've had long enough to kind of judge you know, what sort of impact that may have had from people potentially spreading uh, the virus. So, uh, I, John, I think you make a good point. You might as well set the bar as low as possible. And that from this point, any news is going to be uh, positive as opposed to saying, hey, you're going to allow, you know, 20,000 people. And then two weeks from now, after people have made all their plans, um, listen, we have to call it off. It's going to be no fans. So start with no fans and then, you know, knock on wood, hopefully uh, for the, for the, the fans and for the businesses here in state college. I mean, we live here in state college. We work here in state college. This is kind of, or in the, in the area, I know Tyler, you're not in state college per se. Rub it in. Well, no, but you, <laughs> you know, on a serious note, I mean, this, this could really hurt a lot of good people and good businesses and your yeah. heart goes out to them. So let's hope that they're able to, to increase this, that we will at least be able to get some people in the state college safely to support these businesses. Yeah. With so many listeners out here, I know local business owners that we, that we have reached out and we've heard from in the past and um, just so affected by this process. We're talking about this in terms of football games and wins and losses and how many people can be in the stands. And we know beyond the stadium on those Saturdays, on these game day weekends, how crucial the influx of people is and the influx of fans is. And uh, the heart goes out to everyone impacted. And unfortunately, this is not unique to State College. There are so many college communities right now that have been crippled by the situation. Uh, still wondering if you're going to get students fully on campus. And, and, and that's a whole other aspect. But we know what football means. We know what it drives for the university. Uh, Sandy Barber, you know, she, she called it the, the, the head of the train. And, and, and the way football rolls on is going to dictate what they can do athletically and a lot on, on, on budgetary issues. So, Man, uh, yeah, it, it, it's tough to think about that. You leave the door open, Mark, though, and, and maybe we can see more fans later in the season if things go right. Well, the last game of the season at home, Ohio State. So, hey, if everybody can do their diligence and, and Pennsylvania takes some steps forward, who knows what could happen. But something tells me that if we get to November and they're still playing football, there's going to be some pause to change anything up from what has been working to get to that stage yeah. We will keep tabs on, on that process. Sandy Barber also scheduled for a two o'clock conference call that we will be on here at Lions twenty four seven. So anything new uh, that comes out of that, I'm sure there'll be a lot of follow up questions to the email that was sent this Thursday morning. Anything new that pops up from that conversation, check it out lines twenty four seven dot com. And guys, uh, before we wrap this thing up, I want to point out once again this weekend, Friday is when that preseason practice period opens. Um, it was put in mind by the NCAA this summer with the September 5th kickoff date in mind. The Big Ten sticking to September 5th, so this works out for them. The 7th is when this gets underway. You can, as far as we understand, fit in 25 different practice sessions over a 29-day span. Sean, a couple of weeks ago, you wrote about what the move to walkthroughs really meant for the Nittany Lions. Do you have a feel for what this move means for Penn State and how they maybe plan to adapt because I can't imagine it's going to be full you know let's go out and have a training camp and go hit each other and tackle each other and and the things we typically think about with training camp 
goes out the window for me, at least when we, when we imagine what Penn state's going to be you know, loading up on the next four weeks. Yeah. We talked about some of the processes that they'll have to go through in terms of splitting it up, like ones versus threes, two versus fours. And I think that's got to continue because you got to keep your guys healthy, you know, from a football standpoint, when you're talking about sprains and bumps and bruises and things like that, but also there's another added layer of, of keeping your guys, you know, virus free. So That'll be the thing that, that that I'm looking for in terms of keeping it split up. You're gonna uh, shorten practices for some guys. So maybe may make for even longer days for these coaches because maybe you're running two practices in a day. I'm not sure on the verbiage of this uh, of the rules. I mean, if that count, if you're running a one and threes practice, does that count as one full practice? And then you have to run a two and four. Does that count as a separate practice? I'm not sure how all that works, but they'll they'll have to break it down and sort of keep themselves distance keep the offense on one you know away from the defense you know it's, there's so many things that go into it and I, I don't envy these guys for having to put it through but it's going to be a, a juggling act but uh, I think for the most part based on what we've seen over the last five months they're going to be happy just to get back into it to get going and, and to get playing football again this sport yeah, was not made for social distancing just just not, following not up quickly on what you're saying yeah yeah one thing I would throw in there is you know I would have to imagine they're going to have to get their threes and fours, you know, more work than maybe they otherwise might have. Yeah. Uh, now, now clearly in in a season, it's it's different. I get you know in in preseason, I'm sure guys, everybody's getting a lot of work. But I think even as they get toward the season, if we have a season, your depth that all of a sudden now takes on a whole new meaning. So. I don't know that they're going to be able to afford to only get, you know, two and a half quarterbacks ready to play. You know, they're going to need three, four guys ready, ready to go uh, because you never know what's going to happen, not only injury wise, but also illness wise. And, and we're probably not going to see Sean Clifford and Will Levis in the same room. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation, keeping those guys apart. You think of the red shirt rule, all of a sudden you've got four games to, to play with those guys. That's 40% of your schedule now. So that helps a little bit, but uh yeah, it's it's a juggling act, and it's not going to get any easier, especially as you know you got guys that have to drop off and quarantine or or whatever. So Tyler Rutgers apparently ruining everything as we saw this week. As uh, there's the head going down. Yeah, the Rutgers is is doing what they're doing, and that's unfortunate. I, and I hate making jokes about it, but you're here, and it's going to be at your expense, not at their expense. So, uh, but uh, yeah, just so many speed bumps uh, that can happen, and you know hoping praying that uh, it does not happen but uh, this is that has not been the reality in the last five months uh, I want to make this point before this is not records related this is not making I want to make this point though before we uh, before we close up the show and before I forget to make it the walk-ons this year we, we we always call them the unsung heroes this year of all years the walk-ons role within a college football program guys who are reporting back to campus in this situation going through this kind of protocol, not on scholarship, and how important walk-ons are going to be for bodies on the field. And I think maybe in games more than ever across college football this fall, that's an important facet to watch. We've talked in the past about Penn State really ramping up in terms of the caliber of players they are getting uh, from walk-on roles, guys who maybe have scholarships to play at the FCS level or low-left FBS who have been picking Penn State. They don't all stay for the long run, but I I think that's going to be a critical part. And the freshmen, too. They may not factor in, but you're going to need them on the practice field. And I, you know, good luck to a freshman who showed up in June, uh, breaking through and getting on the field this fall. I mean, it's already a tough course to navigate. This is just uh, this is really unfathomable, unfathomable to make that move from high school and, and, and encounter this kind of labyrinth to get into your first game appearance. I don't know how that's going to work out. Big big classes on the offensive and defensive lines last year, which to me is very helpful when you're trying to build out a practice squad or something that resembles a, a, a practice squad. So I think that's really going to help them from from that aspect. And I mean, there's uh, 27 new faces in that room, and you know, it's uh, they, they're going to need every single one of them. And new faces on the staff, new faces uh, in in the locker room, and we'll see what happens starting this week as we get practice. Uh, the first time Penn State will be practicing football since December in the Dallas, Texas area, and that feels about four years ago. Mark, it's always great to have you on the show, and and particularly in this instance where we had, like I said, some some very heavy topics to to discuss here and. Something tells me we'll have more heavy topics to discuss it in the weeks and months ahead here with 2020 football season. But um, thanks as always, Mark. Yeah, I appreciate being here and listening. One other dynamic I wanted to bring up was 
you know, how is everything going, going to unfold, unfold if and when the students return? I mean, so that's a whole nother thing that we can talk about at some other point, but obviously happy to come on. And this, I think it's the first time I've come on and not talked about hoops at all. So that's, uh, it's fun talking football, but, uh, well, they might get a they might get a hoops commit today, so that's uh, you never know uh, what's uh, what's going to happen. You've been uh, writing some stuff up, and you know Penn State seems to be trending for a big man, not a guard. So uh, I, we we will let you talk hoops if if you want to talk hoops. Yeah, Elijah Hutchins uh, Everett, uh, New Jersey kid who's playing in uh, Connecticut, six ten guys taking a prep year this year, uh, reclassified to the the the, the upcoming class. Uh, Penn State really needs bigs. I mean, you look at losing Mike Watkins, John Harris in his final year. Uh, so if they're able to land this kid and there's a crystal ball in there, a pick for him, uh, you know, I think it will be be good for them. I hope he pulls the trigger eventually because we've been hearing that uh, he's due to make a decision at some point. So if you're a Penn State basketball fan, uh, keep posted. And I'll also throw out there, uh, Tyler, I know you usually do this, but I'll, I'll do it this time. Uh, we have a, a special going on all month. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Ten-year ten-year anniversary special, fifty percent off an a, a new new annual subscription. Uh, it's a real great deal. Ends up being less than fifteen cents per day. And if you're not ready to take that dive at the premium level, you could always come on for one dollar for your first month. So there, Tyler, I handled the promo for you uh, because I'm sure you in, really enjoy doing that every every podcast. I'm just, you know, you set the set a high bar with with your promotional expertise. So, uh, you know, just maybe, trying, maybe we'll have to have him back on at some point just to do the. Can promos. we just pre-record that? Because it yeah, is all it's for the whole month. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> bring me on at the end of the day. Brennan's here to do the promo. Well, Mark, we appreciate your time. We appreciate the conversation. We'll check out Mark's content. All of our content coming online is 247.com. Uh, Sandy Barber availability coming up later today. Uh, waiting for more from the Micah Parsons situation as he moves forward with his football career. But for now, we will step aside and, and bring you the latest news next week with a couple new episodes of the Lions 24-7 podcast. I promise we'll get into our five-star mailbag as well. Just way too much fresh news to jump into this episode. We've already gone further than we had hoped to. So, Stay with us on lines247.com. We'll talk to you soon. We're stepping aside for now.